Have you ever felt that some Bible studies are too much? You know, they're too long, they're too deep, they're too serious, they're too theological, and yeah, maybe they're too boring. <laughs> well, we're going to try to remedy that with this podcast, the Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. We're going to take a close look at Scripture. We're going to look at the cellular base of what God was saying through His Word. But we're not going to make it too much of anything. We're going to try to make it just right for everything. It's interesting, as we uh, study the Feast of Tabernacles during this series, that uh, we find it all throughout Scripture. Uh, the Feast of Tabernacles is the most often referenced of all of the feasts uh, that God required of his people from Leviticus chapter 23, including Passover. So that means that the Feast of Tabernacles is an important uh, celebration and religious observance that we should study and understand. We find the Feast of Tabernacles talked about during the Millennial Kingdom when Jesus will rule upon the earth for a thousand years while Satan is in prison. Um, and we also find Jesus attending the Feast of Tabernacles in the New Testament in John chapter 7. John chapter 7 is basically a whole chapter, a story that talks about Jesus going to the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, and so it's interesting about what happened when he was there and what he did and what the religious leaders tried to do. And it's a great story. And when you put it in the context that this was happening during the Feast of Tabernacles, which is talking about when the Messiah will tabernacle or live with his people. And here is Jesus, who is that Messiah, who is now with his people, talk, celebrating the Feast of, Feast of Tabernacles, about him being on earth with his people when he is on earth with his people. And yet they don't know it, they don't recognize it. And because of that, some things happen that are that almost just boggle the mind. So we're going to talk about all of that during this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. Hey, so we are, uh, I don't know, we might get finished with Tabernacles today. Uh, but I'm not going to rush it. I'm not making any promises. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoy uh, the, all of these. I mean, I hope that you, like me, I've just learned so much about these feasts of the Lord, these uh, Jewish appointed times, whereas Christians, we tend to just kind of say, oh, that's a Jewish holiday. You know, but it's, you know, it is, but it isn't. I mean, this is the foundation on which we build our faith uh, as New Testament and New Covenant believers. And and if you're like me, 
my faith has been nothing but strengthened and informed and encouraged and inspired. And as we're looking at these Old Testament feasts and appointed times, I'm like, oh my goodness, that makes so much sense to me. When you look at it through the lens of Jesus, it just, it is, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. I found that, like you said, as Christians, we gloss over that. I've got friends, you know, and I would say, we're studying, you know, the, the seven feasts of the Lord, and, you know, and we're doing the tabernacle, and they look like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like they've never heard of that. Right, well, you know, it's not something that we, right. we talk about very much. Somebody so. said to me, oh, there's a whole lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> there's seven. There's seven. You mentioned Hoshana, which I think is, is that part of Rabbah? No, it's Hosanna. Yeah. Hoshana Rabbah. So it means it means no it means the great hosanna oh okay and rosh hashanah isn't that the one that is near the christmas no uh no that's hanukkah rosh hashanah is the first of the fall feasts which is on the first day of the seventh month and then on the 10th we have yom kippur and then on the 15th we have tabernacles they're all boom 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 the first rosh hashanah the 10th is Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, and then uh, the 15th starts um, Tabernacles, which is interesting because you have you ha- Yom Kippur is on the 10th of on the 1st, and then uh, Tabernacles is on the 15th. These are the fall feasts. They all come in the seventh month uh, on the Jewish calendar, and it's interesting to me how you have the Day of Atonement which is the most solemn and most serious of all of them, followed by Tabernacles, which is the most joyous. So it's like, you know, the comic relief you need sometimes in a movie or a play, it just brings you so down, you need a little comic relief to kind of, Shakespeare is so good at that, give you a little comic relief to give you a little breather. I think God said after uh, David Atonement, we need a little breather so we get to celebrate with um, uh, Tabernacles or Sukkot, as they call it, so... So we, where we are at this point is we talked about, uh, of course, the things that in Jesus' day were part of the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot, or sometimes they just call it the feast or the festival. And there was the build, we've had the building of the booths, which is important. The fact that you need to come to Jerusalem if you can uh, to celebrate it. Uh, we talked about the water ceremony with some, uh, to some extent. And how, because that was really the most important and major part of it, where the high priest went and got the water of the Pua Sloam. Other people went and got the uh, the branches, the palm branches and the willow branches and the leafy branches, and brought them back and put them over the altar in the temple and also waved them uh, during uh, part of the ceremony uh, when the um, when the high priest would enter into the temple and he would go up to the altar and he would pour the water into the basin and that's when uh, they would uh, you know wave their palm branches and would sing and uh, also the priest would make one circle around his counterclockwise one circle around the altar uh, singing the Psalm 118 and especially the 25th uh, verse of Psalm 118, which is, uh, you know, called the uh, the Hashiana verse, which is Hashiana. Let's just look at it real quick. So we're going to be talking about that again today. Psalm 118, which is so important 
to the Feast of Tabernacles. This is a messianic psalm, and the verse that they would uh, sing, that the priest would sing as they went around the altar uh, during the water ceremony was verse 25 of 118. Hashiana, please Adonai, please God, save us, deliver us now. We beseech you, please Adonai, prosper us now. And so this is what they would be singing as they uh, went around uh, the altar during the water ceremony. And uh, while they were doing that, the people would be waving their palm branches uh, as the as the, the priest would, would would do that and, and sing that. So we also talked about, and we talked about how the water is representative of a couple of things: the the water that God provided for His people in the desert from the rock, and also there was some link between the water and God's Spirit, Holy Spirit, in the Old Testament and so forth. Um, but mostly, Tabernacles is about God taking care of his people uh, in history, uh, in their wilderness wanderings, and in the current day as they ingathered the, the harvest and the crops, kind of their Thanksgiving time. That was the water ceremony. The other ceremony uh, that was a big part of it was the lighting ceremony, and that would happen in, at night. And they had these four huge menorahs, which just went up. I don't know how tall they were. They had to have ladders to get up to them to light them. And there was a big, whole, huge uh, ceremony around these lighting these menorahs. And it said the light from these menorahs lit the whole city of Jerusalem. It was such a huge uh, light that came from these menorahs that were up. And we took a look again. If you look at verse, uh, at, at look at Psalm 118, look at verse 27. It says, Adonai, verse 27 of 118, Adonai is God. He has given us light. Join the festival, the festival being tabernacles. Join the Feast of Tabernacles with branches up to the horns of the altar, which is exactly what they did. And so there's a celebration of light and uh, the celebration of water. So we're now going to talk today about the third big thing that happened during the celebration and observance of the Feast of Tabernacles in Jesus' day, and that was called Hashanah Rabbah, which means the Great Hosanna. This was this was celebrated only on the seventh and final day of uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, and. Uh, there, there are a couple of things that made this important. Uh, one, well, probably the most important reason that this was on the seventh day, a day of of more more of everything. Everything was magnified on the seventh day. One because it was the last day, uh, and the the Jewish thought was that every day we should grow closer to the Lord. Every day, our relationship with him should increase, and, and we should grow closer and, and stronger in our relationship with God. Every day should be more, more, more. And so the same idea was this with the Feast of Tabernacles. So every day, you celebrated more dramatically. You put more effort into it. So the first day was this, and the second day was this, and the third day was this, and the fourth day was this. And by the time you got to the seventh day, you were at your peak and your climax and your, your most of everything, the mostest, the mostest and the bestest. <laughs> and uh, part of that was because of that 
way of looking at life and our relationship with God and how that was magnified day by day all the way up to the seventh day, which is the most. But also, and, and probably even more than that, was the fact that their tradition believed that on that seventh day was the day that God decided whether or not they would get rain for the next year. We talked about how important rain is to the growing of crops in Jerusalem and Israel, where they really get the rain from November to March, and after that they don't get much, if any. And how the Feast of Tabernacles became associated in tradition with rain and water, another reason the water ceremony was so important. but you know, their belief was that by on that seventh day of Feast of Tabernacles, that God would decide, yes, you'll get your rain, because because remember, Feast of Tabernacles was happening around the first to the first part of October, and the rainy season would start around the first part of November. So they're coming in, and they are. This is their last best chance to convince God to give them rain before the rain is supposed to start, and so. On that seventh day, if that's the day God's deciding whether you're going to get rain or not, and you make your life and living on your crops you're growing, and you've got to have rain to do it, on that seventh day, what are you doing? You're trying to impress God, aren't you? It's like, God, I really deserve this. Look, look how much I love you. Look how much I'm celebrating you. Look how much I'm worshiping. Look how good I'm doing. Don't you want to give me rain? Doesn't that sound like Native American? Sounds like a lot of people. Sounds like a lot of people who say, if I just please God enough, he's going to save me, you know? And uh, so I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to go to Sunday school, and I'm going to go. And uh, the thing is, you know, you can sit in your garage till the cows come home. You ain't going to be a car. You know, so sitting in churches isn't enough. So, but to their way of thinking, the seventh day was the most important day because they wanted to convince God that they deserved the rain. And so they, everything was hyped up. So for example, we talked about when the priest would come back from the pool of Siloam with his water and his gold pitcher, he'd walk through the water gate into the temple. And when that happened, they would do three blasts on a trumpet to announce that he's coming. Well, on the seventh day, the great Hosanna day, Hashanah Rabbah day, they would not do three blasts on the trumpets. They would do three times seven blasts on the trumpets. They would do 21 blasts. And we talked about when he would then pour the water into the basin. The other days they would do three more blasts on the trumpet. On the seventh day, they would do three times seven blasts on the trumpets. They would do 21 blasts on the trumpets twice. We talked about how during right, right during that period as he was uh, pouring the water in, that the priest would circle around the uh, altar one time, singing the verse 25 of Psalm 118. And, uh, and the people would, um, you know, do their palm branches. Well, on the seventh day, the priest would walk around the altar seven times, not once. And seven times they would sing this uh, Psalm 118, verse 25. And so you can imagine 
the enthusiasm, right? You have 21 blasts on the trumpet, 21 blasts on the trumpet. You have seven times around. You have the waving of the palm branches, and you have the singing of this, not once, not twice, but seven times over and over and over again. So you're so ramped up, you know, and everything is the most, the most, the greatest, the more. And, um, and, and this was this, and this, and this also kind of sends you out at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, kind of on fire for the Lord, you know? And so this was all accomplished through this uh, Hashanah Rabbah uh, day, the seventh day, the last and greatest day of the feast. So I, I have a video um, that I wanted to play. Um, I've been talking so much about Psalm 118 during this Feast of Tabernacles. It's just such an important part of it. And... Um, and the fact that it was sung uh, by the priests and by the people and uh, the enthusiasm that they showed and so forth. And I thought, you know, we should listen to the psalm being sung in Hebrew. Uh, and uh, we, I don't think anyone can say exactly how it was sung then, exactly exactly what, how, you know, the, the tune might have gone and so forth. Uh, I think there are traditions that were handed down that people think that this is probably the way it was done. We're going to listen, the more we're going to listen to now is someone's own composition of the music. So it's not really meant to be specifically what they were singing back then in Jesus' day, but it is, it is the Hebrew, it is a Hebrew version and this is what she's going to sing is 118 verses 21 to 29. So I want you to, and as she sings, I want you to listen for certain things. I want you to listen for, remember how we said that the uh, Hebrew word for salvation is Yeshua? So she's going to sing verse 21, which is, I give you thanks because you have answered me. You have become my salvation. When she sings that verse, listen to the word Yeshua as she sings it. Uh, and the music, the music it sounds a little bit differently, but if you listen closely, you can hear Yeshua there. And then listen for verse 25, when she sings, Hoshiana, please Hashem, is what she calls it. Please Hashem, uh, save now, and we beseech you, Adonai, prosperous. Listen for, the, for her to say Hoshiana, that, that phrase we know. And then verse 26, we talk about too as part of this, Barak Haba Bashem Adonai. Verse 26, Barak Haba Bashem Odonai, which means blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That is on here too. So listen closely. Those, those, those are ones that we can recognize. It does have um, subtitles, but uh, listen to the words. And what's so exciting about this is that the Hebrew really hasn't changed. So even though we may not know the exact tune, we do know the words. And so these were the words that they were singing in Jesus, these were the words that, that they were singing even in Jesus' presence as he attended the Feast of Tabernacles with his disciples. So um, I thought it would be cool to listen to this. <clears throat> Yeshua. 
Isn't that pretty? Great. Yes. Yeah. Judy's at a place that's a lot of Jews there. And somebody asked her, well, how do you feel about that? She says, I feel like I've got a ministry to Jews. I've got to see where you're planted, where you're planted. Boom. Amen. The other thing, the discussion we've had about foundations, about the Old Testament, about the seven feasts, and people wondering, well, what, what is that? You know, I've done a recently study at the lodge where I've talked about 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4. And it says, you know, this is the gospel, believe that Jesus died according to the scriptures, buried according to the scriptures. He rose again according. And the only scriptures they had when they wrote that was the Old Testament. Amen. <laughs> Paul was talking about the Old Testament. If you don't know the Old Testament, you don't know the foundations of our faith. In that verse, you, you know, it says, then you'll be saved. 
just to say I, you know, I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection without knowing what that's all about, you may not be saved, you know, because it says according to the scriptures, and you, you have to look back at those scriptures, all the way back to Genesis, the first chapter, and say, you know, God set up, these are the foundations of our faith, and if we don't know that, we're having a rough time understanding the New Testament. Well, I, you know, that reminds me of, uh, we're talking, you know, we're coming up on Easter, and, um, you know, Good Friday, and um, it reminds me of the two uh, on the road to Emmaus, you know, on that day, and they're confused, and what's going on, and Jesus comes up to them after his resurrection, they don't recognize him, of course, and he walks with them, and it says he opened the scriptures to them about himself so they could understand what this was all part of the plan and so forth. Well, the scripture he had to open to them was the Old Testament. That's what they were familiar with. So I'm sure that some of the very scriptures that we're studying as part of this study of the appointed times are some of the same scriptures that Jesus used to say, this is about me. <laughs> this is about me. And that's what I think about, too, just you know, thinking about him sitting there or standing there in the, in the temple as they, on this uh, Hashanah Rabbah and this enthusiasm, so enthusiastic, and they're talking about, you know, my God is so good and he's taking care of us. He's, we thank him and so on and so forth. And and to some extent, I mean, I think he has to be just so pleased to hear his people proclaim that about him. Even though they missed him as Christ, as Jesus, they still had this devotion to the Lord that was part of their, you know, culture and a part of their religious observances and so forth. It had to be for him. I mean, just to sit there and the closest I can come to it is... Um, I may, I think I may have shared this story before, but uh, I used to travel quite a bit on my job. And one time, uh, because of the way travel was set up, you know, if you went over a weekend, it was cheaper. So uh, I would have a meeting um, uh, like on a Monday, but I would travel over the weekend to get there, to go to wherever I'm going, especially like on the West Coast. So one time I was traveling from Texas to California. It was like on a Friday, and I saw in the paper in Texas, of all things, that close by where I was going to be staying in California, there was going to be this booksellers convention for Christian booksellers. And uh, I thought, well, that sounds cool. Uh, I want to go check that out. And so I went to it. It was in Anaheim and like, like, you know, their, um, you know, U.S. arena, that kind of place and a convention center. And uh, so I went and I told the people, I said, I'm just here for the weekend. I have nothing to do. Um, and I'd love to be, because, you know, you really weren't supposed to go unless you were buying books or selling books or whatever. C could I possibly just hang out, you know? And they said, sure. They said, would you like tickets for the concert? I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll take tickets for the concert. So one night of that weekend, and maybe it was a Saturday night or Sunday night, but they had this huge, I mean, it was like sold out concert. And it was all Christian singers. And uh, it was it was California, so it was filled with all different ethnicities, black, white, Asian. I mean, we were all there together, and they were singing songs that were familiar to everyone, and everyone was singing along with the with the performance that was on stage. And I just 
had to shut my mouth for a minute and listen because I was thinking, this is what it's going to be like in heaven. <laughs> we're all going to be there, all different nationalities, all different nations, and we're going to be singing praise songs. We're all going to know to God, and there's just something in, amazing about that. And so um, I think this is kind of what, when Jesus was hearing them sing this psalm to them as part of the, and the joy that they were having, thanking him for his goodness, must have just been something else. So so that's very cool. So let's look now at um, the Feast of Tabernacles today. And uh, of course, it's still a appointed time for the Jewish people today. Uh, some of them still construct their temporary booths. I mean, they're supposed to. Uh, some of them still do. Uh, you can. I went online. You can actually buy. Of course, we don't, can't you buy anymore? You can actually buy kits, tabernacle kits that they'll and they have all the stuff in there you need to make your tabernacle. Uh, and you're supposed to use palm branches and willow branches, and you're supposed to have fruit and all of that. You're supposed to have an open air, kind of an open air roof. And um, the synagogues all do their own uh, booths uh, outside. It's supposed to be temporary, not supposed to be. So it's supposed to be temporary. It's not supposed to be a construction project per se. You just, I don't want to say it, like, but you just kind of throw it up, you know. Uh, and and uh, most people today feel that they are being faithful to the call to use their tabernacles, their booths, their huts, if they just eat their meals out there. Uh, out there. Uh, they don't necessarily live there and sleep there. Although some do, if you're really orthodox, you really feel called to that. Some might even sleep, you know, depending on the weather and so forth, might actually sleep out there and spend their time out there. But by and large, most people will just have their meals out there. But it's still a part of uh, the Feast of Tabernacles to this very day. And I think, as I mentioned before, if you drive through certain areas of town, you'll see those out in people's yards and so forth. Now, in their and they still celebrate a seven day a seven day uh, celebration, and uh, they still um, what they do now because they don't have an altar is in, in most most synagogues they'll bring out the scroll which has the Torah written on it and they'll put it on the t- their table the table where they display the scroll where they'll put in the center of the synagogue that's called the bima table by the way. And they put the scroll on it, and what they'll do is when they circle around, they'll circle around instead of the altar, they'll circle around that Torah, that Bema table, and they'll sing Psalm 118, and they'll sing verse uh, 25 as they circle around it inside the synagogue. So they still they still celebrate it in that same same kind of similar way. And on the last day of the feast today, during uh, Hashanah Rabbah, uh, it's still the same idea of being the most enthusiastic, and they go around seven times uh, and, and, and do it. They've added something that is interesting. Uh, now on that seventh day, they take the willow branch. And, and what they generally do is, they it's called a lalev. They have a, a palm branch, a willow branch, a leafy branch, and I don't remember the four. There's four things. I don't remember the four, four or five things. But anyway, they're all they're all wrapped together, and and they still do the waving of those during that that as they circle around. But on the seventh day and the last day, they remove the willow branch, and they take the willow branch and they beat it on the ground, or more commonly today on the pews, 
And they're supposed to, it's not just like, like a friendly little tap. I mean, they really go to town on this and they do it like five times. And, and the goal is to beat that willow branch severely enough that the leaves, the, the, the goal is to get the leaves to fall off of it. So, you know, you have to beat that willow branch enough to get the leaves to fall off it. Now, there has to be a reason for that, right? There has to be, that has to be symbolic of something. But as I've read and studied and researched this, there's not, there are several different thoughts about what this symbolizes. This has become a tradition that no one knows exactly why it really began or what it really was meant to be. Some people say it's the, to remind them of their affliction in Egypt, you know, being under their taskmaster's hand as slaves. Some people say it symbolizes the removal of their sins, that as the leaves fall off the branch, they're, they're, you know, they're coming off of, don't forget, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and now Sukkot in very quick order, much of which has to do with, you know, uh, having your, your sins forgiven. And so the idea that on this last day, the seventh day of the last feast, that this is the symbolic representation of your sins being forgiven as the leaves fall off the branch. Uh, other people feel that this represents rain, that this is their last final chance to impress the Lord and to pray for rain, and the leaves falling off the branch is symbolic of the rainfall coming that they're hoping comes in a few weeks. So, any or all, <laughs> any or all, pick your choice, or may, do you? can you guys think of some other thing as you think about beating willow branches until... The leaves fall off that maybe brings anything to mind to you? The threshing floor. Hmm? The threshing floor? Threshing floor? Well, if you apply it to Jesus, Jesus. Or, he was, uh, the Isaiah passage, by his stripes we are here. And the, uh, the beating that our Lord took. And it actually happened. So I think. Dennis, I like that, and I think that as Christians, you know, the Jews look at something in a certain way, and we, having Jesus, look at things a little differently, and we can see Jesus so clearly in all of this, and I like that, Dennis, because I think, of course, this is representative of Jesus being scourged, and, you know, his, his, his flesh being torn apart uh, for us. In fulfillment of Isaiah, where not only did it happen, but we have the some symbolism of it happening, and 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 tabernacles also represents for us and for them what, what the the day when Jesus will tabernacle with us, will live with us, will live with him, and here tabernacles is talking about tabernacling with Christ, and it was a time when he was here in his first appearance living with us, we living with him, and how this is what happened to him, and this is the fulfillment of that tradition. I think that I like that interpretation best, of course, as a Christian, to see it there. So where is Jesus in, in all of this? Uh, that's the last thing we like to do as we, as we uh, look at um, these feasts and festivals. So I gave you some homework to look at John chapter 7 and 8. So let's turn to that. 
now, because this is where we're going to see Jesus uh, in um, in this Feast of Tabernacles. So, John chapter 7, <clears throat> verse, uh, I'm going to start at, I'm going to start at chapter 6, actually. Chapter 6, look at chapter 6, verse 4. 6, verse 4 says, uh, well, let's look at verse 3. It says, um, let's look at verse 1, chapter, chapter, six, chapter 6, verse 1. Afterwards, Yeshua went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they were watching this, for the signs he was performing on the sick. Then Yeshua went up on the mountainside and sat there with his disciples. Passover, the Jewish feast, was near. So chapter 6 is near Passover time, okay, which we know is in the spring, right? And then look at verse 68 of chapter 6. Verse 68. This is just an aside thing I find interesting. It has nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about next. But I think this... Uh, verse 68 of chapter 6. Uh, Simon Peter answered Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have trusted uh, and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Verse 70. Yeshua answered them, Didn't I choose you, the twelve? Yet, yet one of you is the adversary. Verse 71. Now he was speaking of, my, my Bible says Judah, U.S. says Judas. Now he was speaking of Judas, the son of Simon of Creot, the son of Simon Iscariot, Simon of, Simon of, of Creot, for he, one of the twelve, was about to betray him. Did you know that Judas's father was named Simon? I didn't. I think that's so cool. We, I mean, who knew that we knew that what the... Fathers of Judas is that we knew what his name was. His name was Simon. Simon Judas's father was named Simon. Okay, well, anyway. A lot of Simons. I just, yeah, I just think that's kind of interesting. Okay, so now chapter 7, verse 1. After these events, Yeshua was walking about in Galilee. Now, Galilee is near the, shore, is near the Sea of Galilee. That's where Nazareth is. Uh, and that's north. That's north in the north, northern part of Israel. Uh, he did not want to walk in Judea because the Judean leaders wanted to kill him. Judea is near Jerusalem. That's where Jerusalem is. It's farther south, and it's about 60 miles between the two, um, between Jerusalem and uh, between Judea and Galilee. So he's in Galilee, and he's not going to Judea because the leaders there want to kill him. Verse 2. Now the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near. So chapter 6 is Passover time. Chapter 7 is Tabernacles time, which means it's about six months later. About six months happened trans, uh, between six and seven, chapter six and seven of John. About six months go go by. So now we're at the Feast of Tabernacles. Therefore, his brothers said to him, "These are his physical half brothers, uh, the the children of Mary and Joseph." Uh, he said said to Jesus, "Leave here and go to Judea. Go down to Jerusalem. So your disciples, meaning not just his twelve disciples, but." all the people who were following him, believing in him, so your disciples also may see the works you are doing. In other words, uh, why do it just out here in the sticks? Go to the big city. It says, uh, verse 4, no one wants to be well kn- no one who wants to be well known, no one who wants to be a celebrity, does everything in secret. If you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. Then verse 5, you learn from John what they really are doing. For not even his brothers were trusting in him at that point. They were being sarcastic. They were uh, saying, look, 
you're doing all these healing and all the stuff out here in the sticks, uh, in the backwaters, uh, in, in the middle of nowhere. Uh, if you really want to get famous, uh, you need to go to the big city. You need to go to Jerusalem, where uh, you know that's where that's where the action is. That's where the people are. You know what's wrong with you? I mean, you know you need to go and do that. That's you know get 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 this done. And on the other hand, you know, were they just teasing him, or did they really want him to do this? They certainly would have known too. I think that people were looking for him. There's a price on his head. I mean, were they suggesting, you know, go down there and get yours? I don't know. Now, after Jesus was resurrected, they became believers in him. But at this point, they weren't, and they were. I don't. Know, they were teasing him, but they were trying to get him to do something um, for their own personal, selfish reasons. Verse six. Therefore, Yeshua said to them, "My time has not yet come." But your time is always at hand, right? Because you're part of the bad guy's world right now. Verse 7, the world cannot hate you because you're, it's like you. Uh, but it hates me because I'm different. I testify that its works are evil. You go on up to the feast if you're so anxious to go there. I'm just paraphrasing a little bit. Uh, I, I'm not going to this feast because my time hasn't yet fully come. After they saying these things, they stayed in Galilee. Now, the idea this is not the same idea as when he changed the water into wine at Cana, where he said to Mary, my time has not yet come. That meant my time has not yet come for me to reveal myself as Messiah. This, what he's talking about, is a different word entirely in the Greek. And what this word, my time has not yet come, means I, I want to go when the time is ripe for me to have the biggest impact and the biggest um, reaction uh, in other words, uh, it, I, if I go now, it's not the right moment. Uh, I want to wait and go when the time is right for me to have the the, the, the best uh, result. Okay, so he's just talking about it could have been minutes, could have been days, could have been hours, but I'm not. It's not. I'm, I'm not. It's not time for me to go right now, right this minute, according to what you want you to do. Okay, so anyway. Verse 10, then it says, but after his brothers went to the feast, uh, he also went, not openly, but secretly. Of course he had to go to Jerusalem. Why? He couldn't stay in Galilee. Why? It's the Feast of Tabernacles, right? You have to go. I mean, Leviticus says go to Jerusalem. I mean, to be a sinless to lead a sinless life, he had to go to the Feast of Tabernacles. So he had to go. Okay. Uh, but secretly, then the Judean leaders were searching for him at the feast and kept asking, where is that fellow? Because they knew too. He had to be. He had to come. He has to come. We just, and this, where is this fellow? This reminds me so much of the wise men when they got, and they, when Jesus was born, the wise men went to Herod, and there's and and Herod said to he brought all the guys, the, the people around, and the priests, and he said basically the same thing: Where is this fellow? Where is this king that's supposed to be born? They told him Bethlehem. But like here we see it again. They were saying, "Where is this fellow?" Uh, there was a lot of murmuring about him in the crowds. That's like murmuring and muttering. Some were saying he is good, but others were saying not so. He leads the people astray. Yet no one uh, spoke openly about him for fear of the Judean leaders. So they had let it be known that 
If you're one of his, you're on the wrong side. And so they didn't openly speak about him, but they did do a lot of murmuring and muttering about him behind their backs. He was a topic of conversation, although not publicly. Mine says grumbling. Grumbling, yeah, yeah. It's the same idea as what the Israelites did against Moses in the wilderness when they grumbled and mumbled and murdered and muttered and murmured against against Moses. Because he just said earlier that he wasn't it wasn't his time to do anything in Jerusalem. So how do these people know about his well, he's already, this is towards the end. This is at the end. This is only six months before. Okay, well then, what, I, why, I don't understand the thing before then. My time is not yet. He just said, the, the, the more, the mo, in other words, this hour, not today, but tomorrow. Uh-huh. Not this morning, or but this evening. Okay. It's just my time, the, the, the very moment isn't right for me to go there yet. Oh. The, 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 like it might be, they might have been wanting to do it in the morning, and he went in the evening. He said, I'm going to go at, at my time when it's best for me to go. Okay, so verse 37. Skip over to verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the feast. What day is this? The last and greatest day. Hashanah Rabbah. We just talked about it, right? Now you know all about it. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Yeshua stood up and cried loudly, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Now, think about this for a minute. Hashanah Rabbah, the seventh day, the last and greatest. And they brought the water back. And they've done the 21 trumpets. And they've had the, the priest has gone up. And he's poured the water in the base, 21 more trumpets. And they're going around the uh, altar seven times. And they're singing Verse 25 of 118, all about Hashiana, Hashiana, save us now, deliver us now, uh, prosper us now, please. And, and, and it says, I find it interesting, it's so funny, you wouldn't have picked up on it if you didn't know about uh, tabernacles now and, and uh, Hashiana Rabbah. It says, uh, verse 37, Yeshua stood up and cried out, what? Loudly. Why did he have to cry loudly? Because there's a big racket going on. I, I mean, he, so they're doing this all about the water, all about the water, all about the water. And he stands up and he yells, hey, if you're thirsty in the middle of this water ceremony, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Can you imagine their reaction to this? Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Verse 39. Now he said this about the Ruach, or the Spirit, whom those who trusted in him were going to receive, for the Ruach was not yet given, but since Yeshua was not yet glorified. But basically what he's saying is, um, thirsty doesn't really mean physically thirsty, right? It means spiritually thirsty. So the people have to keep coming back year after year after year after year during tabernacles and have this water ceremony year after year after year, day after day after day after day, because they are quenching a spiritual thirst of salvation. Save us now. And what Jesus is saying is, if you believe in me, you will have this salvation inside of you. You don't need to keep coming back over and over and over again to this water ceremony because you will have the river of the water of salvation within your spirit.
So he's saying that believe in me and your sins will be forgiven and you're saved. And that happens when you believe in me and the Holy Spirit lives within you. I tabernacle during the Feast of Tabernacles. He's saying, if you believe in me, I will tabernacle with you through the Holy Spirit. And you have rivers of living water of forgiveness within you welling up. You no longer have to observe this ceremony year after year after year because it's now not outside of you and temporary. It's inside of you and it's permanent. And, of course, the, the people don't like that, the, the leaders don't like that, verse 40. When they heard these words, some of the crowd said, this man really is the prophet. Others are saying this is the Messiah. So others are saying the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? Uh, didn't Scripture say that the Messiah comes from the seed of David and from Bethlehem, David's town? They didn't know this story yet, did they? So a division rose among the, uh, the crowd because of Yeshua. Some wanted to capture him, but no one laid hands on him. Verse 45, this I think is kind of funny. Then the guards returned to the ruling Kohanim, the ruling priests and Pharisees. The guards, what were the guards supposed to be doing? They were supposed to look for him. They were supposed to arrest him and because they wanted to kill him. So they were supposed to arrest him and bring him back so they could kill him. And uh, so they, but the guards went back without him. And they're saying, the Sanhedrin, they're saying, why didn't you bring him? Verse 46, this is a great answer. Never has anyone spoken like this man, the guards answered. And in the original Greek, the way it's structured grammatically, what it really, the literal, the literal translation of verse 46 would be, no mere man has ever spoken in this way. No mere man has ever spoken in this way. What he said was not just what he said, but the way he said it. The the charisma he had, the, the, the spirit that he, the way he said it, the way he looked, the tone of his voice, what he said, no mere man has ever spoken this way. We ain't arresting this guy. <laughs> the Pharisees responded, you haven't been led astray. Also, have you? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob that doesn't know the Torah, they are cursed. But that wasn't really true, was it? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but that wasn't true because there had been one of the leaders of the Pharisees who had met with him and I believe did walk away from that encounter believing in him, who was whom? Nicodemus, right? But but has Nicodemus made this public? Apparently not because the people sitting right in there with him didn't even know. They said, none of us. So he's a secret believer at this point. But guess what? No one is supposed to be a secret believer in Christ, right? Nicodemus is at this point. You look at the next verse, verse 50. Nicodemus, John is going to point this out quickly. The one who had come to Yeshua before and was one of them said to them, our Torah, this is Nicodemus, our Torah doesn't judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he's doing, does it? So he's trying to take up for Jesus here. He's trying to defend Jesus because he's a believer now, but he's not going to say that, but he's trying to Use, you know, the the argument of unbelief to convince unbelievers. See, you can't use the argument of unbelief to convince unbelievers to believe. You have to use the argument of belief and faith to convince unbelievers to believe, okay? And sure enough, it doesn't work. Look at verse 52. They answered him, oh, you aren't from Galilee too, are you? I mean, this is a real insult. 
uh, to someone, especially Nicodemus with his learning and his, you know, the way he'd been ascended in the Pharisees. Search and see that no prophet comes out of Galilee, and that's where Nazareth is, right? No prophet comes out of Nazareth, which we already heard from one of Jesus' own disciples, haven't we? And then verse 53, then everyone went to his own house. I'm going to take two more minutes to finish this up. So everyone went to his own house. Okay, let's go on to verse to chapter 8 for just a minute. But Yeshua went to the Mount of Olives. So at the end of the seventh day, at the end of all, at the end of the evening of the last day, their last and greatest day of the Feast of Tabernacles, everyone goes home. No one, went, no one invites Jesus to go with him. Uh, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Okay, at dawn the next day, which would be what? The eighth day of the Feast of Tabernacles, which we know from Leviticus, the eighth day is also a day of a holy convocation. It's also considered a Sabbath day. The, the, it's, the, it's not part of the Feast of Tabernacles, but it's still one extra day that God put on there for a, for a Sabbath day and, a, and no work and a holy convocation. So at dawn on the eighth day, Jesus came to, again to the temple. So uh, it says, all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. Okay, let's skip up to verse 12. Verse 12. Yeshua spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will no longer walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So what did they just experience for the last uh, seven days? They just experienced what? The lighting ceremony, right? Seven days, day after day after day, this lighting, this, and they light them, and they dance around them, and they sing the songs, and they do all of this stuff. And this is fresh in their memories, this lighting ceremony. is supposed to represent the pillar of fire that led them in the wilderness, which was God's presence with them. Uh, and and, and uh, they have this lighting ceremony to remember this, the way that God provided light for them to guide their way as he was with them in the wilderness. And in verse 27 of Psalm 118, Adonai is God. He has given us light, joined the festival with branches and the horns of the altar. They just came out of this Feast of Tabernacles for seven days. This lighting ceremony is fresh in their minds. And the very next day, Jesus says, I am the light. The same way you did with water. I am the light of life. I am the pillar of fire. I am the one tabernacling with you. I am the one present with you. I am the one who will lead you and be yours. So here we have, right here in verse in chapter 7 and 8 of John, Jesus in tabernacles. He's the water. He's the light. And uh, he says that and confesses that while he's attending the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. I think that's so cool. So, all right, that's all I have to That concludes this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. I pray that you've learned something new about the Lord today, and He's given you some new insight into who He is and how much He loves you. Remember, the eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. May in that refuge today, and those everlasting arms, you find the provision that you need, the protection that you need, the power that you need, and through those, the peace that you need. Remember, he said, my peace I give you. Peace be with you. Shalom.